Hi, and welcome to the Church Unlimited podcast. Church Unlimited is a vibrant Bible-based church in North Lakes, Queensland that is passionate about helping people discover the genuine love of Jesus. If you're currently looking for a new home church, we'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship from 4pm at North Lakes State College on the corner of Discovery Drive and Joiner Circuit. We hope you enjoy this great message from our Sunday service and come for a visit someday soon. I want to take the role of a Bible teacher tonight. Anytime, anytime, you, anytime you read a scripture, you want to ask a couple questions. One, what happened? And then once you explore what happened, the more important question is, what's happening in me right now because of it? And so I want to connect some dots. I was looking at what I've done here, and, um, and I've never done this here, and this is an important for a couple reasons. It'll make Jesus bigger. It'll make the cross work better. It'll make the resurrection central. It'll make scriptures bigger, not smaller. And it's a good lesson in how to connect dots through scripture, okay? So let's look at this. This is Numbers 15. This is Moses giving some um, advice on fashion, right? So here's, here, here's, here's what he says, if you could bring that up for me. Numbers 15, verse 37. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you're to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. And you'll have these tassels to look at so you remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you'll remember to obey all my commands and be consecrated to the Lord your God. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take tassels and I want you to attach it to the corner of the garment. There's all this rich imagery in this that I think if, if, if we get not the literalness of it, but if we get the meaning behind it, this will really help our spiritual walk. Let, let me, um, there's a couple of key words here that, that I want us to learn because uh, this is going to come back later. G- hit that next slide for me. So the key words, number one, is the word kanaf. So with some go uh, Broncos, uh, Queensland Maroons gusto, I want us to try to say that together. The word sounds like this, kanaf. Ready? Go. Kanaf. Yeah, very good. So kanaf is the corner of a garment. It's, it's, the, it's the end of it. Now, there's only 8,000 words in Hebrew, so lots of words have to have multiple meanings. So kanaf or kanap was a corner, a border, a hem, or it could be a wing. So when they spread out, it, it was like the wing of a garment. That was a Enough. The most important word I'm going to teach you tonight is this one. The word is talit. With that same amount of gusto, can you say that with me? Talit. Let's try that again more together. Ready? Go. Talit. Now, this is a talit. I brought one. I bought this in Israel, and it makes a great visual illustration. This is a talit, a proper one. This is an exact microcosm of the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. It, it was sort of like this. They, they pictured the veil as the thing that held the presence of God. The problem is, is no one was allowed to go in there except for the high priest. And so it, it's sort of like this. How many men in Australia want to drive a Ferrari? All of them. How many of them can afford to drive a Ferrari? None of them. So what we do is, is we buy little model Ferraris and we set it up on the mantle and a small primitive part of us feels like we own a Ferrari, right? That, that, that was what this was. So here's what they did. No one was allowed to see the veil except for very, very special people. So what they did is they made scale models of these things and you were given to it to wear. So if you give me a second, I'm gonna try to put this on. Let me just show you. 
So they would put it on. But to them, and this is the most important thing, the tallit meant the presence of God, symbolically. It was, it was what held the presence of God. So you would, you would read things in the scripture like, put on the garment of praise, wear the presence of God, put on Christ. This is the idea. The idea is, is that you can't separate your life where God is here but not there. You can't do that. That's not a good life. You can't separate your life where God is here but not there. As a matter of fact, in Hebrew, there's no word for spiritual. If you ask a Hebrew person, how's your spiritual life going? They're like, what? No, what? The whole thing is spiritual. How you treat the waitress when she's taken too long to get your order, that is spiritual. How you treat your husband when he leaves his underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time is spiritual. How you treat your wife when she does something that disappoints you is spiritual. How you treat someone that cuts you off in traffic is spiritual. Your absolute exuberant praise for them finally fi finishing that flipping road out there is spiritual. It's spiritual. It's amazing. It's amazing. How you treat someone when they cut you off in traffic, it's spiritual. That you can't organize your life where God is here but not there. The idea is, is that God is with you everywhere you go, everything you do, every word you say. God is in the middle of this. And they reminded themselves of this by literally putting it on their clothes. They literally wore the presence of God. So this is a tallit because this is so important, it's promised you it's going to come back later. Let's say it together again. Talit. Let's try that again. Talit. And a talit was the presence of God. And so, so the other two words that are going to be very important that's going to come back later is the word Tameh. So Tameh was the word unclean. So if you were a leper and you got diagnosed, you'd have to announce that. You go, Tameh, 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 unclean, unclean unclean. And of course, the word for clean is tahor. Now, I realize in English that sounds like the unclean one, but in Hebrew, <laughs> that is the clean one. So, uh, so you were either tameh or you were tahor. Now, tahor was clean. It meant you were ritually pure and clean. So you've got kanaf, which is the court of the garment. You've got talit, which is the presence of God. You've, you've got tameh, which is unclean. You've got tahor, which is clean. So number says, I want you to take tassels and attach it to the corner of your garment. Next slide. So there's all this imagery in the tassels. If you, I'm going to hold that up where I'm going to try to make it where everybody could see it. That is a properly done tassel. There are five knots in that tassel, one for each book of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So it wasn't just the anointing or the spirit or the presence of God. Everybody has the presence of God. If you're breathing air, you have God's presence. You're held together by God's name. For Christ is all and is in all things, and in him all things hold together. The question isn't who, who is God for and who is God against. The question isn't who's being held together by God and who's not. The question is, is how do we carry the presence of God? Do we carry it as attached to the word of God. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the five knots. Between those five knots are four spaces, one for each letter of the holy name Yahweh, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. It's the unspeakable name of God. They define the name of God this way. He is the Lord, the Lord. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. So it's not just about carrying the anointing of God. It's about carrying it with the word of God and the name of God, the disposition of God, the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness God. They, they would use that all the time, sometimes positively. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name and forget not his benefits. Who forget 
forgives all of our sins, heals all of our diseases, for he is the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness God who does not treat us as our iniquities deserve but gives us mercy that's new every morning. That's Psalm 103. Sometimes it is quoted negatively, as in Jonah, who got irritated because God was going to be nice to people he thought was evil. And he's like, no, I knew you were going to be nice. That's why I ran. I knew you were a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness God. It's that. So sometimes, see, what Jonah had to learn was that God was not nearly as interested in getting his enemies as he was. And he was not nearly as interested as getting him as his enemies were. God just loves people. And so you have, you have the word of God. You have the name of God. So they would remind themselves of this, like with tactile reminders on their clothes. Also, this is a properly done tassel. It takes 613 loops to make that tassel. There's exactly 613 commands in the scripture. So the idea is, is that it's not just the anointing of God. It's the word of God. It's the name of God. It's the ways of God. But at the end of every tassel comes off and ends with eight strings. Eight is the number of new beginnings. It's the number of grace when we fail. The idea is, is yes, there's the word of God. Yes, there's the name of God. Yes, there's the ways of God. But there's a reminder. There's always grace when we fail. There's always grace. So it's not just the presence of God. It's the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God. So here's what they would do. They would take the tassel and they would wrap it around their fingers like so. Now, you could wear tassels. They had these undershirts as well that would come, but it's, it's more awkward to show you that one. It, they, they would wear these, or they would have these undershirts with the stuff coming out. But they, they would take these tassels, and they would wrap it around their hands like so. And they would have these tassels to look at to remember God's ways brought me from slavery to freedom. God's ways brought me from darkness to light. God's ways moved me from Egypt to Israel. God's ways are the best ways for my life. And they would remember the word of God, the ways of God, the, the, the grace of God, and the nature of God all wrapped up in the presence of God. And they would remind themselves of that so that any time before they sinned with their hand, they had to physically unwrap God. That was the idea. Now, there's all of this imagery around this. Like there was this one time where Jesus said, beware of the Pharisees who wear their tassels too long. Beware of the Pharisees who wear their tassels too long. Well, hang on, that, 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 what's he talking about? See, there were some people in the first century that liked to make a really big outward show of how spiritual they thought they were. And, and Jesus is essentially saying, be careful of people who announce too loudly how spiritual they are. They're normally not that spiritual. And, and, and that's my experience as well. Like when I come to a church and somebody walks up and says, hey, I'm the prayer warrior here. Normally not, normally not. Normally, normally, normally the prayer warrior is somewhere praying, right? Right? Or, right? Or in my experience, anybody that's ever called themselves a prophet, Normally, the, the real prophets are the ones everybody else says, watch out for that. Yeah, that is crazy stuff right there, right, right? The one that comes up and says, I'm the prophet of this house. No, 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 normally, normally not. He says, beware of people who make too loud of an announcement of how righteous they are. In my experience, when somebody gets too loud about their own righteousness, there's something they're hiding. There's something underneath. In, in really righteous people, there's an inherent humility uh, about it. Like there's, um, there's, there's all kinds of images. Like, like one, there's this one psalm. It says, under the shadow of of his wings, under the shadow of his wings. The word is kanaf. God doesn't have wings. Like it's, it, it, it's, it's under the shadow of the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God. It's under the shadow of his wings. Like, remember there was this one time, um, there was this guy named David, 
and David killed Goliath and got very, very, very popular, right, with everybody except Saul. And he ends up running from Saul. And, and the ba- there's a long story there, but it, it ends up David's hiding in a cave, and the cave is very dark, and David's eyes are already adjusted. And it says that Saul goes into the cave to use the toilet, okay? So he goes into the cave to have a moment there. And, um, and, and it says that David snuck up behind him while he was going to the toilet, and he cut off the corner of Saul's garment, and then he snuck off to a higher place. So Saul finishes up his business, right, as you do, details omitted, and then he, he, he puts his garment back on, and he walks out into the sunlight, and he's the king of Israel. Think about this. If he's the king of Israel, what would have been attached to the corner of his garment? Tassels. David cuts off the tassels, right? Right. And then what happens is, is Saul walks back out in the light, and he would have reached down to put his tassels around his hand, and he can't find them. And so what happens is, is David is in the is in the distance, and he's holding up the corner of Saul's garment, and it says Saul saw it as a reproach. Of of course he saw it as approach. What's David saying? I can't do anything about the anointing of the Spirit of God on you. That's above my pay grade. That is God's business. I can't touch the anointing, but I can give t- commentary that the way you're carrying it stinks to high heaven. Yes, you have the anointing, but you have lost your tassels. This is, this is massive, massive imagery. And then Saul got ever more the mad because he was given commentary not on the anointing, but on the way he was carrying Now, an interesting prophecy came about in the book of Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, regarding how do you know when Messiah has come? Let me show it to you. Next slide. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The word there is kanaf. So to Malachi... You could tell who Messiah is by whether or not there's healing in the corner of his garment. Huh. Mark chapter 5. An interesting story comes about with Jesus going to pray for a guy named Jairus' daughter. Okay? So there's a synagogue ruler named Jairus, and his daughter is very sick, And he asked for Jesus to come pray for his daughter. So Mark chapter 5 is all about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. Because Jairus' daughter is very sick. And if we lose sight of the fact that he's on his way to pray for Jairus' daughter, we're going to miss the entire point. Because the whole point is him going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. Because what happens next is pretty spectacular. It can be pretty distracting. And we can lose sight of the fact that he was actually going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. So we don't want to forget the fact that he's going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. Because if we forget that, we're going to miss the whole point. So Jairus' daughter is actually the focal point of the story. So this whole story is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter because Jairus' daughter is very sick. And Jairus asked him, please come pray for my daughter. And that, the next thing that's going to happen is going to be pretty distracting. We might even forget some preachers even stop in the middle because it's so distracting. But actually the whole thing is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter because this little girl is going to die if Jesus doesn't get to Jairus' daughter. So let's not forget as we go through this that this whole thing is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' <clears throat> When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, this is Mark chapter 5, sorry, verse 21. Uh, To the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue rulers, a guy named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet in in like a posture of begging. And he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter's dying. 
Please come put your hands on her so she'll live. Jesus went with him. So this whole thing is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. Now, the, now, this is quite a long passage, so I'm going to tell the rest. I'm going to tell the next part of the story before we look at, at any other part because it's just it's, it's bad preaching to just read the thing. So, uh, so, what, so Jesus is going to go pray for Jairus' daughter because Jairus' daughter is very sick and Jesus had compassion. So Jesus is on his way to pray for Jairus' daughter. Now, on the way to pray for Jairus' daughter, I hope you get that that's the point. On on Jesus' way to pray for Jairus' daughter, it says something ridiculous happens. It says a woman with an issue of bleeding for 12 years comes up and encounters the crowd. Stop. Let's think about this for a second. First, you have a woman. She's been bleeding. I think it's safe to assume it's some sort of female issue, right? But when you say something like 12 years, how do you know that? What if it was 11 years and nine months? What if it was 12 years and three months? It's not the point. See, see, Jewish people read the Bible through four levels. If you're a nerd and need to know the name of those levels, Peshat, Ramez, Drosh, and Sud. If you're not a nerd, one, two, three, four. Now, <laughs> so, so the Peshat is like the, the plainest thing going on. So let's talk about the Peshat. There's a lady who's been bleeding for a very long time and she needs healing. That's what's going on plainly. Let's stop and read this emotionally instead of doctrinally just for a second, okay? If you're a woman, only women could fathom this. If you'd been bleeding for 12 years, how are you feeling? Physically, emotionally, the whole thing. Remember, this isn't a day where they had blood trans... This, is, this isn't a day where they had iron tablets, right? This is a day where you had to suck on the closest ginger root you could find to you. I mean, this is not a good medical day, okay? You're not doing well. So on one level, there's this lady who's been bleeding for a long, long time. But on another level, the remez is hint, a remez is a hint or illusion. So, so when a Jewish audience reads 12, what do they immediately think of? 12 tribes, they're thinking of Israel. So on one level, this is about one lady at one moment at one time needing a touch from God because she is really, really ill. But on another level, this isn't just a story about her, this is a story about me and you and an entire nation who needs a touch from Messiah. So this is on one level about one lady at one moment at one time. On another level, it's about an entire country. Now here's the problem. She knows, she grew up in Israel. She knows all the prophecies about Messiah. If he is who they say he is, then there will be healing in the corner of his garment. The problem is, how does she get close enough to touch it? Quick cultural lesson. In, in, ancient, in ancient Jewish culture, you were either Tameh, unclean, or Tahor, clean. You were one of the two. And here's the thing. We define sin very poorly today. We define sin as the bad things you do. So if you do bad things, you're sinning. Okay, but here's the thing. In their culture, they define sin as anything that wasn't perfect, okay? So let me give you a couple of examples of sin, okay? In Leviticus, it's a sin to have dandruff. So why don't you just check your neighbor right now and see if they're living in sin. Just check them out. See if they're living in sin. It was a sin, it was a sin to have any skin, any skin disorder, any rash, anything like that. Why don't you just ask your neighbor right now, do you have a rash? We don't know, right? right? I don't even know how they lived back then. Um, in, in Leviticus, it was a sin for a woman to have a period, right? Right, and, and it, because it, it, was, it wasn't 
it wasn't ever supposed to really be that way, and so it was a sin. In, in Leviticus 12, it was a sin for a woman to give birth, right? Which, from the looks of things, there's been some sinning going on in here, right? Right? Just the looks and the sound of stuff, right? 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 There's some sinning happening, right? In Leviticus 12, it says, after a woman gives birth, she must bring an offering to the temple to atone for her sin of loss of blood. So loss of blood, even in childbirth, was considered sinful. Now, here's the other part. Tamay, if I could make up a word, tamayness, tamay uncleanness was very um, contagious. So, so it wasn't even that you had to practice it to be infected by it. They, they, they made all these crazy extra rules because it was profitable, right? The more people who were unclean, the more people have to buy sacrifices from you and you could profiteer on people's spiritual guilt, right? Now, we would never do that today, but that's what they were doing back then. Now, now, Tamay was very contagious. So, if you have a rash and I touch you, now I am Tamay. And so there was all of this stuff. Then they made all these extra rules around it. So they built fences after fences after fences to try to keep everything protected. So they made, here were some of the extra rules. Not only is it a sin to have a period, it's a sin to touch a chair or a woman who's had a period in the last three days that sat on, okay? I don't even know how you live back then. Like if you're here tonight and you're on your period, could you just raise your hands so we just all know? Like what, what, who does that, right, right? Right? Could you just let us know? We don't really want to touch you. Right? We don't have to want to go by the temple, offer sacrifices. Right? Oh, and listen, hey, if, if, you're, um, if you're not willing to raise your hand, would you at least leave a, a, one, of those, uh, one of those giving cards? Could you like leave it in your seat and say, don't touch this chair? Right? Like, what is that? Like, they made all these extra rules. Like, here was one of the extra rules. One of the extra rules was it was a sin to touch furniture where a married couple had been intimate in the last three days. Like, what did you do? Put a sign up? What's going on? I, I, was, I was teaching this once in a pastor's home, and he made everybody get off the sofa. <laughs> true, true. Ha-ha. <laughs> yes, yes, he was 75. Ha-ha. <laughs> yep, yep, my new hero. Here's the thing. So Jesus is going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. And there's this lady with an issue of bleeding for 12 years. Stop. Let's think about this emotionally for a second. Let me paint a picture of her life. If she's been bleeding that long, she would have been what? Pam A. Couple thoughts. She would have not purposely been touched in the entire period of time. When she walked into a room, good-hearted people would have put their hands behind their back and they weren't being mean. They literally couldn't afford to touch her and keep just going to offer sacrifices over and over and over again. This lady's been through it. And she thinks, wait a minute, Malachi says if he's, he's that, then that will sort it. The problem is, is how do you get to him? Hang on a second, I'm Tamay. So here's what she does. She puts her elbows out and, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, right, right? And people, like, they, they literally would have, right? She reaches up and grabs the corner of Jesus' garment. Now, what would have been hanging from the corner of Jesus' garment? Yes, the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God, as it is attached to the prayer. They, 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 she grabs the corner of his garment, and she's instantly healed. Now, what's interesting is, is Jesus doesn't mention it. 
Jesus actually does something. He, he doesn't even talk about the healing. He says, go in peace. Go in shalom. In other words, don't make the next husband pay for the sins of the first one. Don't make the next group of friends pay for the rejection of the last group of friends. Go, go in wholeness. But he also does something that you never see him do before and you never see him do again. When Jesus healed somebody, normally he would go, shh, let's, not, let's keep this on the down low. Let's not tell many people about this. That's Jesus is normal, not this time. This lady reaches up and grabs the corner of his garment and he does something you never see him do before or again. He goes, who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. Now, does that sound like Jesus? No, that sounds like Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? It's like, like what? Like Luke, the force has left me. Who did this, right? That is weird. That does not sound like Jesus at all. He is, he is pointing out to an entire Jewish crowd that this lady with an issue of bleeding touched him. Now, would rabbis have laid hands on sick people? Yes, but did they touch them? No, but did they lay hands on them? Yes, but did they touch them? No, but did they lay hands on them? Yes, but did they touch them? No. Why? Because if they touched the sick people, they'd have to, it was a problem. See, in Western culture, we take everything so literally, we think laying on of hands, right? Right? And look, let me be clear. If you do that and it works, keep doing it. But here's the thing, right? Normally, rabbis, to lay hands on somebody was just to impart something that was within your authority to impart over the top of them, namely the healing in the name of, of God, right? The Jehovah Rapha, our healer, right? So, so they would do that. But Jesus points out to this whole crowd, this lady just touched him. Now, what is the crowd going to think Jesus is? They're going to think he's Tameh. And that, this, is, this is amazing. This is the whole gospel in a nutshell. This was made by Messianics. And on one of these corners, it points this out, that, that, that this, this story is about the one who knew no sin being willing to be considered Tameh so that the other one can have righteousness, right? So this is the gospel in a nutshell, in a narrative form. The one who was clean as clean could be was willing to be considered unclean by others so that she could know a moment of cleanness. This is beautiful stuff. This is beautiful stuff. He's like, who touched me? Who touched me? There's just all this weird stuff going on. Then tragedy strikes. Watch what happens. This is verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? Okay, first, can we all agree together that's rude? Like, you have no tact. Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? That is weird, tactless. That is horrendous, actually. Now, it's very important to remember in this story that Jesus was going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. See, what happens in the story is that miracle so unbelievable that we lose sight of the fact that it was actually an interruption to his schedule, right? Which leads me to this observation. If God can't interrupt your schedule, you might miss some of the craziest things you'll ever see, right? Right? That's a whole, that's a whole nother thing, right? So, so in this process, Jairus' daughter dies, and they tell him, in my opinion, literally the worst way possible. Jairus, your daughter's dead, why bother the rabbi anymore? Stop. Let's think about this emotionally. If you're Jairus and you have a daughter, if somebody told you your daughter died, what is your first emotion? Devastation. Second motion, 
emotion, disbelief. Third emotion, wrath, anger. At who? No, not Jesus. You can't be mad at the Lord. It, it, Jesus. No, 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 no. You'd be mad at the woman, right? Stupid woman. Been bleeding 12 years. Can't wait 20 minutes. God, what's wrong with you? You know what? If you wouldn't have interrupted us, he'd have made it. And my daughter's dead because of your selfishness, you stupid, stupid woman. Now, why, is all these, why are all these details included? You've got to understand, understand their culture. See, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? So you've got to understand that in Leviticus, it was against the law to knowingly walk into a room where a dead body is. You can't knowingly walk in there. If you know that there's a dead body in there and you knowingly walk in there, that's a sin. Unless you're already considered unclean. <laughs> yeah, this is genius stuff. From who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. I need all of you to look over here and think I'm unclean. I need them to let me in that room. See, what seemed like a disaster and an interruption to the schedule actually was the thing that made the other miracle possible, right? Right, yes, you lost your job. Maybe it's your time to start that business, right? Like, yes, I know, yes, I know, it's horrible, but start the business. Oh, Shane, they left me, oh God, oh God, they left me, good. You're getting a second chance, ask your friends. They were a little bit crazy, come on. What seems like a disaster can sometimes be the very thing that makes a way for God to do something, see? That's what's happening in the story, right? Now watch, Jesus covers his bases though. He big time covers his bases, watch this, next slide. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Now you could picture a little girl's dead and there's people going crazy. And he's like, why? What's happening here? He says, the, the, the child's not dead, but asleep. In other words, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Wink, wink, right? Just in case you're not gonna let me in the room, right? But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and went into the child. Now, 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 this is very important before we go next to the next one. Everybody together, what is the name of this garment? Talit. All right, let's try that together. Talit. Let's try it again. Talit. And it means the presence of God. Not literally. It means literally it's a garment. But, but figuratively, it's wrapping yourself in the presence of God. Now, Jesus is a Jew. What would have been wrapped around his hands? Tassels. Now, keep that in mind. He goes into where the child is. Next slide. And he took her by the hand. Hang on a second. What would have been wrapped around his hands? Ah, so he reaches down. See this story? The first part of this story is a lady getting touched by God because she's reaching up for him. In the second part of the story, you have a little girl being touched by God because he's reaching down to her. Even after she's dead, with no hope, he was still coming. See, sometimes you'll get touched by God because you're reaching up for him. Sometimes you're gonna get surprised and get touched by God because he's reaching down to you. This is how this works, right? right? And he takes her by the hand. Think about the faith in this. If it's against the law to walk into the presence of the dead, is it against the law to touch a dead body? Oh, yeah. If she doesn't breathe, we got a problem, right? This is massive faith. Jesus reaches down, takes her by the hand, and watch what he says to her. Talit ha kum. Talit ha kum. Little girl, get up. I say to you, arise. But wait a minute. What does the talit mean in their culture? 
the presence of God. Literally, it's, it's my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. My child, the presence of God is here. It is time for you to arise. And this has been a crazy week for me. It's been a good one. It's been a crazy one. I've been all over the place. I was in Toowoomba, Kingaroy, Gainda, Springfield, Ipswich, and now here, right? All this week. And I'm telling you, I came here tonight to say, Talit Hakum, my child, the presence of God is here. It might be time for you to get up. Well, but Shane, I went through a divorce. Yeah, six years ago. Get up. You got one life. How long are you going to wallow in that? Get up. What are you doing? Shane, I lost my job. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's start the business. Let's get up. Let's do what we could do. Listen, this is what, and, and I got to stop right here because I got to tell you, my conscience won't allow me to go further without addressing this because the temptation is, when, when we hear a message like this, is to presume upon God's power to fix something that's easily within our realm to fix. And that's irresponsible. So let's talk about that for a second. I think I speak for the leadership of this church. And if I don't, I humbly apologize because it's not my place to come in and challenge them. But I'm pretty confident about this. If, if you get lung cancer, we will pray heartily for you to be healed from that lung cancer. But we would much rather you quit smoking today than need a miracle in 20 years. Right Right? If you, if you need a financial miracle, we will pray heartily for that financial miracle. But we would also like to know that you're living a life of getting up before 11 a.m. and working hard and, and budgeting and, and, and doing what you could do to do it. It is irresponsible to presume upon God's power to fix stupidity, right? Right? Like, like it's, it's the second temptation of Christ. Hey, throw yourself off this mountain. And because God has a big plan for you, he'll catch you. Uh-huh. Remember Jesus? Jesus was like, probably, but why would I test that when I could just not jump? Right? Like, like, like look, if, if, if you have strep throat, we will pray for you, but you don't need prayer. You need antibiotics. It'll cure it. Like, if you get sick and medicine will fix it, take your medicine. Right? Right? Like, uh, maybe I'm not getting this through. Uh, uh, maybe I can, uh, I'll just go Joyce Meyer on you. Um, uh, if there's something you could do about your situation, get off your butt and do something about your situation. Don't let me come back here next year and find you in the same exact place you've always been. Get off your butt, make a plan, be disciplined, and do something about your life. I love Joyce. If you don't love Joyce, maybe Joel Osteen. He's my favorite. You're a champion. God loves you. You don't let that devil get in your head and get you all negative. You tell him to go on back to hell where he came from. Me and Victoria, we was talking the other day about what daddy used to say about y'all. And y'all aren't just beautiful people. Y'all are champions. So the next time that devil gets in your head and goes round and round and round and round, you just reach deeper down inside of you. You become the champion God intended you to be. Whatever. But here's the thing, right? You live long enough, there will be a moment where you take all your medicine. It ain't enough. 
You do everything you could do to save the relationship, and she's still leaving. You do everything you could do to salvage the thing, and he's still going. You do everything you could do for that 27-year-old adult child of yours, and they're still off the rails. There's a moment where you can do everything you can do. And at that moment, that's what this is about. It's to remind ourselves that under the shadow of his wings, there is still hope. The enemy of faith is not doubt. Actually, if you embrace the cross, you have to embrace the side of the cross that says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is profound doubt. I've done everything you've asked me and you're not here. Great faith is not the absence of doubt. Great faith is an is inspired trust in the middle of perceived absence, not in just perceived victories. It is in that moment. The enemy faith is not doubt. The enemy faith is only going by what you can see. It's sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by It's that, that. And so my invitation to you tonight is to have, if you could do something about it, do something about it. But if you're at the end of everything you can do, I would hope that tonight you'd have a moment with the tassels, a moment with the presence of God where you resubmit this thing to the foot of the cross. Oh, look, oh, I've got 40 seconds. I gotta show you, there's just one more thing I gotta show you because it's, it's, it's so cool. Check this out, next slide. And immediately the girl stood up, that's cool, and began to walk around. Oh, wait a minute, how old was she? She was 12. Oh, so this girl is the same age of the lady that's been bleeding for that? Maybe they knew each other. I don't know. I know it's not the point. I know the author is clearly saying, hey, this is about one little girl and it's about one lady, but it's also about an entire nation needing a touch from God. At this, they were completely astonished. And you get that. In your experience, dead people stay dead. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know. That's Jesus. That's the one. That's, that's what we're used to about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Why, why would you give her something to eat? Well, I guess resurrecting, you work up an appetite. I don't know, I guess. <laughs> it would have also proved she wasn't a ghost. So that, that's, that's it, that's, that is the story. That's what happened. And my question is, is what's happening in us right now because of it? So I bless you, my brothers and sisters of North Lakes. May you not just be content with the presence of God, but examine your life is the presence of God attached to the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God? Because if there was healings in his wings and you're filled with the spirit of Christ, then there's healing in yours. There's healing in how you carry the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God. May we minister that to our world. May we be people who live a life with our hands wrapped in the tassels. So the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance to you and give you peace. If you're here tonight, and you need to have that moment with God. I urge you to have it before you leave. I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna leave this up here. Now, let me be clear about this. These are my tassels. They have no inherent value um, other than if you're a tactile person. Like, I'm not going primitive tribal. Like, I have magic clothes. We're not doing that. This is... No, 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 no. No, no. I'm going to leave these up here, um, and if you need to have a moment where you bring the things outside of your control to the foot of the cross and say, I'm going to just leave this with you. Maybe you're here tonight, and you've never chosen to follow Jesus, and Pastor James is going to give you an opportunity to make that decision as well. I'd urge you to do that. But above all things tonight, talit ha-kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. See you next time, everybody. Grace and peace. God bless you.
Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. We pray that you and your family are richly blessed in the love and grace of Jesus. If you're ever in the area, we'd love to have you join us for Sunday worship.